KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello, and welcome to this song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and this week we are going to hear the edited version of the conversation I had with hip-hop artist and writer Dessa. But before I get started, I want to ask that if you dig the podcast you're about to hear, then please take a minute to leave a rating or a review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews, they're rad. They both help people find this podcast, and they help all the folks who make this podcast because they make us feel really warm and fuzzy inside. So thanks in advance. Now, on to Dessa. She's a hip-hop artist and writer who for a long time was based out of Minneapolis, but she recently moved part-time to Brooklyn and splitting her time between New York and Minnesota. She's been a member of the hip-hop collective Doomtree since 2005, which is also the same year she started releasing music under her own name. Throughout the year, she's made records as part of Doomtree and toured with them and helped run the record label while steadily writing and recording and touring on her own work. Her latest record, Chime, just came out, and we've been so into it here at KUTX, the radio station where we make this podcast. Like, we've been playing the songs Five Out of Six and Fire Drills from the new album, and we invited her to play our morning broadcast during South by Southwest, and she graciously accepted, which was cool since... She played at like nine in the morning. And like when I found out that this podcast had been accepted to South by Southwest's podcast stage, I knew I wanted to talk to her. We did a live taping of this podcast and we had a great conversation, like so good that I considered just like playing you the whole thing. But it was an hour long and there were some tangents, like eight minutes of us singing children's songs, which was very fun in the moment. But like, hey, we decided to do an edit. And I like this edit very much. Dessa came prepared to talk about a song that exploded all kinds of preconceived notions for her when she was a kid. I picked the song Fast Car by Tracy Chapman. I picked it because I think it was a song that hit me at a point in my life. I was probably like 12, I want to say, 13, something like that. But I'm really like formulating my understanding of like what race and gender are. And then Tracy Chapman was like, wrong. You got a fast car. Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You got to make a decision. Leave tonight or live and die this way. So do you remember the first time that you heard Fast Car? I do. It was like I had I had a hip friend um, who like wore bras and got into drugs before the rest of us. And her name was Emily. And um, I think she brought it over to my best friend's house. And, and uh, there wasn't a lot of adult supervision there, which made it the hang. And I think that, that was a time in my life where like uh, listening to music was often accompanied by like holding the object of the music and unscrew, you know, unblinkingly scrutinizing it. So for me, I, <laughs> I would say probably it is still the case that I have listened to that song more while looking 
into Tracy Chapman's face than while not looking into Tracy Chapman's like face. Like you were physically holding the CD. But like four inches from oh. my face. Like, what is this? You got a fast car. I got a plan to get us out of here. Been working at the convenience store. Managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Just cross the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs. Finally see what it means to be living. When you say like, what is this? What did you think when What's you first on? saw that? I was just like, I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't listening to a, like mostly acoustic music then. Um, but I mean, I think like a lot of young people anyway, I mean, my first question was like, is this a boy or a girl? And also, I mean, it's funny, like talking about the song in 2018, I've learned so much more in the past two years and, and been asked to reconsider my own ideas and what kind of a dated worldview of binariness, right? But I didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have a, <laughs> I didn't have a sophisticated, graded understanding of gender then. My question was like, which is it? Yeah. What's going on? You know, the, the register of the voice is kind of in between. And, um, and there was a woman, you know, on, on the front of that CD who didn't look like pop stars look. See, my old man's got a problem. Yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is. He says his body's too old for working. Body's too young to look like his. My mama went off and left him. If I imagined um, sad kind of folky music with acoustic guitars, I didn't know at that point that like that wasn't mostly like white guys doing that, you know. And so I was just really, I was I was really shook by the vibe of the song, by the vocal timbre. Also, if you're coming from like a what's on the radio that doesn't sound like a hella musical voice even it's got this really interesting timbre that's kind of i mean it's imperfect by technical measures right it's kind of warbly and it's so expressive but she wasn't singing like a pop star you know she was singing like something else entirely she felt like a different category of thing yeah were you mostly listening to pop music then like you know for a um for a sort of like a an artsy kid. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't particularly well versed in. in any, I didn't have like an older sister or an older brother to be like, "This is what depressives should do." <laughs> you know. So you had to make do with what was on the top forty radio. You're Ooh, like, I'll make it work. Or like, <laughs> like in my parents' collection, or just like reading Sylvia Plath in the basement, or um, eventually, eventually, like my best friend was from Sweden, so it was a lot of like Skunk and Nancy, who was bigger over there. Or like Everclear, because they sounded mad. Right. You know? So you were looking for something with some angst associated with it. I was mad and sad, and I like music that made me feel that way, yeah. There's a resonance. It feels good to hear something outside your body that reflects the way that it feels inside your body, you know? So when I heard that song that was full of restlessness and a drive to be something bigger and a drive to be free, I mean, that's being 12 and a half. I mean, I took the song very literally. I was 12 and a half. So I was like, what is the intertextual analysis here? I was like, oh, what's up? She wants to leave her home. Those feelings of like, I want out and, and, uh, and this feels hopeless and I'm restless and, also, and I'm love hungry, you know? I want to make an escape. Like, 
that's that's some those are teenage feelings, I think. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed so fast it felt like I was drunk. City lights day out before us, and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder, and I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. And then. There's the unusual fact of the song structure that the song goes past her. This what? Huh? So there's this first person, right? She's the protagonist. I'm the protagonist. We got. I got into a car. I did the thing. Like we had kids. I got a job. You just still don't have a job. How come you don't have a job? But then at the end of the, you know, in that last verse, she doesn't say I'm leaving. She says I should get left. Take that fast car and, and keep, keep on, on driving. driving. Like the car just goes past her. Like the song. Leaves her. You got a fast car. I got a job that pays all our bills. Instead of drinking late at the bar, see more your friends than you do your kids. I'd always hope for better. Thought maybe together you and me find it. I got no plans, I ain't going nowhere. So take your fast car and keep on driving. My best friend moved moved back to Sweden when she was 14, and so then I got a job at Dairy Queen and bought a ticket to go to. Like, I mean, just like for, you know, part of a summer or something, and then would want to go back every time, and then um, every summer. When you did finally get out, what was it like? Well, I mean, traveling for a while through Sweden isn't the same as being an independent person who can sit her own hours for her whole life. You know, it didn't feel well, like... true. I mean, it felt like, hey, I got away for a while, but I knew I had to go back and go to school, and which I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, for me, I, mean, I think getting, like, getting out is getting out of your parents' house, I think, for most people. Was getting out growing up? Like, or just being independent? Uh, I want, you know, I want to decide my own life. Yeah. Right? I don't want to have to do a high school schedule. I don't want to have to go to bed at a certain time or be inside at a certain time. Like I want, to be honest, it's, I think it's reasonable. It's what I want now. Like I don't <laughs> think that's stupid. I think all of us are hungry to, to set our own courses. Yeah. Dessa, she did get out. Since 2005, she's been a touring musician, which is like a really good job for a person with a restless spirit. But traveling, exploring, the world treats women differently in these areas. Her song Fire Drills deals with her frustration around this. It points out the toll that being constantly protective of one's safety can take. Here, let me play you a bit of the song. You can't be too broke to break. There's a woman always something left to take. So you shouldn't try to stay too late. Or talk to strangers. Look too long, go too far out of range. Cause angels can't watch everybody all the time. Stay close, hems low, safe inside. That formula works if you can live it. But it works by putting half the world off limits. This song, it's made me rethink the way that I'm raising my own daughters, though... I'm at a loss as to what the alternatives are. I asked Dessa if she had any solutions. I don't have a, you know, I don't have an easy solution for that. And it really is like balancing perils. It's like I can get mugged and I could be seriously hurt. And so can every other person and particularly women walking unaccompanied at night, let's say. But I want to be honest about the opportunity costs of avoiding that. Meaning if you are really, 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 really careful all the time, that you're never in danger. Like you miss a lot of stuff too. And maybe it's 
it's not an advocacy for recklessness, but it's like, hey, the solution to this problem where the world is dangerous for women isn't for the women to be more careful. The solution has to be able to make the world less dangerous for women. It's not on their shoulders to avoid every dark alley for the entire lives because rad happens in dark alleys sometimes and I would like to see it. We don't say go out and be brave. Now we say be careful, stay safe. In any given instance that don't hurt, it sinks in like stilettos and soft earth. Like the big win is not a day without an incident. I beg to differ with it. I think a woman's worth, I think that she deserves a better line of work. Something more than vigilance. Don't give me vigilance. But definition, you can't make a difference If the big ambition is simply standing sentry to your innocence That's not a way to live, that can't be what a woman is That gives her nothing to aspire to What that is, what that is It's just a life of running fire drills And literally some amazing things happens in dark alleys on rap tours Amazing ciphers, like amazing shows, amazing dances Like, I want to be there for the stuff that happens that's awesome at midnight and not feel like that was reckless and that then if something happens to you, it's on you then because you made that decision. Is that something you've struggled with while you've been on the road? I mean, I wouldn't say struggle because I don't want to overstate it. I feel like of any person, I mean, I'm fair enough to look completely Caucasian. I'm tall. Um, my, my, my legs and arms serve me well. And, um, and I'm an American woman with a blue passport. Like, as far as freedom goes, that's a lot of it. And if I still feel vigilant and that onus, jeez, <laughs> I mean, it's inconceivable to imagine how heavy that burden has to weigh on women who look differently, live elsewhere, and, and don't have the freedom to, to move and earn and love the way that I do, so... But yeah, I mean, I do feel that even just like even after my own headlining shows, like, you know, tipsy on three beers and, and having sold out a club at home, First Avenue, which is like a big club in Minneapolis. And I wanted to walk. I wanted to have headphones in and I wanted to walk home and I wanted to feel rad, you know, and being stopped by like four people like you can't walk home. You can't walk home. Just a reminder, like you have to get into it. It's just it's a dangerous street or whatever. <sighs> and just being like, well, that's a drag. And that's in my hometown that I know well, you know, um, and then I travel a lot for work internationally. Um, and so trying to be mindful of local customs, but also trying to be responsible. You know, often if you flip to the very back of a travel book, there's a section called Advice for Women Traveling Alone. Is that a thing? Yeah, for sure. Oh. Yeah, so like in The Lonely Planet or The Rough Guide or whatever, it'll say, hey, if you're traveling alone as a woman, here is what you should, you know, cover your shoulders or make sure that you have um, talked to your hostel or hotel owner about which streets are well lit. And here's the places, here's the neighborhoods to avoid. But the fact that we have an italicized heading in the back of travel books called advice for traveling for women alone is sort of crazy. It makes me really sad. Actually, I didn't know that was a, a thing. In the lead up to Chime, Dessa did this kind of crazy thing. Like she created this experiment where she tried to remove a love that wasn't serving her from her brain. I'm not doing a great job of explaining it here. I'll let her tell you about it. 
I'd had one of those up and down relationships. It was hella volatile, and and we loved each other, and we get back together, and then we'd fall apart, and we get back together, and we fall apart, and the sex was great, and then it was angry, and then it was great, and then we were angry, and then um, and all these years in, you know, it was like we'd both found other people, dated them, built proper relationships, but then as soon as those fell apart, we were like kind of magnets drawn back together. So I was really bummed. I was just like, this isn't funny anymore. Like I'm not, this isn't some teenage love affair. This is like, I'm grown. <laughs> I'm a grown up and I'm stuck on this stupid carousel of like a 17 year old's total and utter fixation and fascination. Um, I felt stupid. I felt very, and it was bumming me out really hard. And I'd already written all the like heartbreak songs that I wanted to write about this, you know? So I saw this Ted talk from this woman named Dr. Helen Fisher who put people in fMRI machines to plot the locations of love in their brain. And she found that there was a really reliable spot in the brain that lights up when you're in love. It's three or four of them. And I thought, if I could go into an fMRI machine and find the love in my brain, then maybe I could take it out. So I tweeted, does anybody have access to an fMRI lab that wants to trade images for backstage rap show passes and whiskey? And this one scientist hit me up and, um, and we were off. So I went and I looked at pictures of my ex in an fMRI machine. That's the one where you're lying on your back. It's that really big magnet. And it's measuring where the blood is moving in my brain. And by doing that, it can tell which parts of my brain are more active. So I look at pictures of my ex and then I look at pictures of another dude who I think is fine but is not my ex. And by comparing my brain activity between those two images, we can isolate the love alone. So I get out and we look at the pictures of my brain in action and it's consistent with this other scientist's work. So I'm super stoked and I get this printout of my brain and I'm like, oh my God, that's it. That's the stupid love that won't stop. And it's the love that's in the same place that other people have the love. Yeah, and it's, not, and it's like romantic love looks different in your brain than like loving a brother or a friend or a babysitter or whatever, or the dog. I don't, know, I don't know what people love. I loved this dude. <laughs> that was my thing. So I found the love in my brain and then... Um, and then I asked another clinician, I was like, hey, she works with autistic children and with epileptics and with vets to try to change the way that brains behave. And she's got a fabulous name. Her name is Penny Jean Gracefire. Is that her real name? That is Penny Jean Gracefire. That's, so, that's uh, such a good name. So I said, do you think we could try to work together? And she said, yes, I know. And I told her the project and she said, I think we can devise a protocol to try to change the ways that these parts of your brain that are associated with romantic love behave. Now, the goal wasn't to like lobotomize myself or to, um, you know, electroshock therapy. That wasn't the goal. But what we did is we connect my scalp with 22 electrodes so that we could see the behavior of my brain in real time. And we found that a lot of the romantic centers were hypervigilant. You know, so you know how like a rabbit is really like hella twitchy and like worrying about stuff all the time. Um, those parts of my brain were over engaged. They weren't chilling out. So watching my brain function, I got a little reward of like heart music every time my brain in that area would operate within more reasonable thresholds. And we did that a lot. And then afterwards, I went back and had my brain rescanned and found that that attachment seemed to have been mitigated pretty consistently, significantly. Mm -hmm. So you had an idea to like get the love out of your brain, not extract it, but like calm it down. Shoot it in the head. And you did it, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> but what if I could cure me of you? 
you have this experience where you've where you've gone through this, and I've I've read that you kind of you've become like a soft determinist, like like we are not really in, as in control mm-hmm. as we maybe thought we were. To be honest, I think I thought that beforehand. Like I'd gone to college for philosophy. Free will is just really hard to argue for. It's just really hard. You, uh, but it's interesting because your your dream and your drive as yeah. a kid yeah. is like, I want to go. I want to make my own decisions and do my own thing and be in charge of my own life. Yeah. But then you have a core principle, which is like, but actually I'm not in charge of yeah. my own life yep all of us know that the sun doesn't actually rise we just spin but none of us says i'm gonna go see the sun spin or the earth spin (laughs) no we say i'm gonna go see the sunrise because that's what it feels like i'm gonna go see the sunset because that's what it feels like so when i look at a new date across the table i'm not gonna do my very best to articulate what part of my what part of my response to him is associated with the testosterone level it prenatally that he was exposed to that determined the squareness of his jaw Do you think about it now, though? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Like Like I said, this was a live taping. So at the end, we had a little time for questions. I won't play them all, but our excellent intern, Kelly Seal, did have a question that I wanted you to hear. Hey. Hey. I'm Kelly. Um, It seems like, so you're talking about life in transit a lot. And like one of your first destinations, I guess, was just away in general, which is like fiercely independent. Hmm. But now you're obviously, you know, you're stable and you have, you, you're at a place, you know, like where did you, how did you kind of balance that out? Like you have to be dependent on people to get where you are and you have hmm. to have a more focused goal in place to get to this destination. But how do you, how do you, you know, yeah. find that dependence on others? I mean, this is like such an unsatisfying answer, but I feel like I'm not settled and I'm just still running. And that's helped my career because I've been dissatisfied. But I don't feel, I mean, you know, I don't sleep more than four nights in the same city usually. Yeah, maybe, maybe seven if I'm, off, if I'm off cycle. So that kind of like runawayness, like now it's okay because uh, I don't have a curfew or anything. But I still feel like that's the feeling that's, that's a part of my life and career is like, you know, as soon as, as soon as I have time to like, cook a few meals in a row it's like I wonder what I wonder what Istanbul is like right now you know so I still feel kind of on the run yeah I don't believe my will's quite free I'm half machine at least half steam Aquinas call on me how many angels on the head of your pin anybody in stilettos can answer that old thing it's one for the right foot one for the left half an angel per pin at best add wings add heart add heart all set and this is Velodrome from Dessa's new record, Chime, which is about free will or the lack of free will that we all have. And now, of course, you want to see her live. So I'll post a link to her tour dates in the show notes page for this episode, along with a link to her new record. And Dessa, she's a writer, too. She's also got a book coming out in September called My Own Devices, True Stories from the Road on Music, Science and Senseless Love. I'll post a link to the pre-order for that. In the book, she talks about a lot of things, touring, being an ambitious musician, and she also talks about the experiment that she told you about earlier. And like, if you want to hear more about that, you should totally watch the video she made when she was the artist in residence at the Green Space in New York City. I will post a link to that on the show notes page as well. 
Plus, you can go there and listen to a Spotify playlist where we'll have all the songs referenced in this podcast so you can listen to them all the way through. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Kelly Seal is our excellent intern. Aaron Waltz is our social media intern. And thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.